You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept doing this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. I am your host, Brian Krebs, and with me today is Will Van Vleck. Will and I met just a couple weeks ago on an elk hunt out in Montana. He is a local. We were traveling out there. We met on the hill, and we sat down and talked for a little bit. And during that time, Will mentioned that he has started a couple of side businesses in addition to his own. So I'm really excited for him to share his story with that. Will, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, thanks for being on here. We've had a couple um, technical difficulties. Uh, We had a couple scheduling uh, conflicts, but eventually we figured it out. So I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, for sure. So it looks like you're in the middle of building a house. Is that true? Well, I just um, bought this place. We closed not too long ago, six or seven days ago. And the previous owners, yeah, left in a bit of a rush. So the ceiling, as you can see, is not quite finished. Um, so I've got a little bit of work to do. But uh, ended up ended up closing um, 35000 less than we had originally offered. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I got some work to do for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's quite the deal. Hopefully it, it's easy work. Um so you mentioned when we were elk hunting. By the way, did you have you been back out elk hunting? Have you had any more success out on the hill? We went we went back out um, up above that same basin where I shot that bull. I got a, I can text you the video that we took. But we had we went back over that same basin. We had four bulls that were back in that one drainage that were bugling back and forth, and we chased one of them up over to the next peak back by that private line. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got well within a hundred yards of this giant five by six, but just had that deep throaty bugle like it was that big herd bull um and he ended up taking his cows on a private like 80 yards across the line and we watched him for five or six hours just hoping he would come back um in the evening but uh never never came back over but it was awesome we got some really awesome footage of just him and his cows so that was cool shoot yeah it sounds like we sounds like the same spot where we were the last couple nights we were there we were seeing bulls bugling and seeing the herd back in that area but they were on private i mean we walked like we had our toes almost on the line zoomed all the way into onyx just to like just obviously we knew we couldn't go any farther but just see how close we really were and it was like a foot in front of us was the private land so that was i mean it's nice always nice to see bulls bugling sucks when they're on private so yeah and it was tough we came over we had dropped down so there's that climb up to like 7800 feet and then drop way back down, climb back up. And we were just close to him in the timber. So we had him on public and we heard him. He, he was bugling again, well inside a hundred yards. And we were just cow calling and he just wasn't coming in. So we ripped a bugle and then he just went silent and ended up leaving on back onto the private. So it was just unfortunate. Cause we had pushed him off of public, but we had him there to begin with. Then we were watching him. There was another herd that came in um maybe 400 yards from us and just crossed over we watched them come from public back to private so i think where that drainage is on public they you know feed there in the mornings and the evenings and then just go back onto the private to bed at night um but it was just cool seeing all the elk move around because 
in that area, as you know, there's so many hunters, but when you climb up and just away from where the people are, it's crazy how many elk are really up there. Yeah, that's this um, that trip that we took was probably the most elk we've ever seen on an archery hunt. Um, we I think we ended the week at 143 elk, and like you've been there, so you know like Dang, yeah. the different that seeing elk is cool, but in that unit in that spot, you know you could still be a long ways away from shooting them just because you saw one. Right. So cool. So you mentioned that. Well, we're, I think we're eating snacks and charging GoPros and cell phones. You mentioned that you have started a couple of different businesses. Why don't you walk us through quick? Just give us an overview of, you know, how you got into the outdoors and how you started both of your, both of your side businesses. Yeah, exactly. So my, my main reason, um, for, for doing all this, like my, they're not your typical outdoor businesses but they are they're fun and they're different but they allow me to spend more time outdoors and spend more time hunting and fishing and you know doing whatever um but so i have a a very small airbnb business and i have a small turo rental car business um and i'll just break them down real quick so the airbnb stuff i wanted to get into real estate um real estate rental just for the passive income that you can generate from rental properties but i um, didn't have enough money to buy even one house, a small crappy place at the time. Um, but wanted to get into it. So just, I was hammering my head and thinking and thinking and thinking, how can I get into real estate? How can I have somewhere for someone to stay without actually owning any land or owning a house? And one day I forget how, I forget how it happened, but I just had this light bulb go up like, all right, campers, campers allow me to have a place for someone to stay. And I can just lease out land from a farmer or from anybody that has extra dirt that they're not using. Um, and then boom, I can rent out the land and campers are very affordable. And then combination, I've got somewhere for someone to stay. So started off small. Um, and my dad thankfully had, he had some extra land. So I started out using some of his property. Um, and I just paid him $500 a month to basically have a camper on there. So that was sort of like my, my lot rent. And it was the spot just north of Bozeman, great view of the Bridger Mountains. Um, and I, it was like a 2003, 2004 camper that I had purchased. And I decorated it, got it hooked up to water and electric. So um, hung some paintings on the walls and kind of made it all seem montana and cute. Literally just was looking at Pinterest photos of like modern interior design, whatever. And I got all these fake little plants and put them around. Anyways, um, but started out charging about $150 a night. And I just, it was kind of like a coin toss posted on Airbnb um, at the end of May of 2021. And it booked out, um, there's a 2003 camper. It booked out 28 nights in June for $150 a night. And I was like, holy cow. And then June, uh, I was this very similar thing. I think it was uh, 26 or 27 days. August was a little bit more. And then when August hit, I, uh, borrowed some money from my mom and got a second camper for August. And that was pretty great. Um, and the other cool thing that I'll note, I got a loan. <clears throat> I'd been doing a lot of reading about rich dad, poor dad and yep. about how like difference between good debt and bad debt. And if you can buy, you know, an asset with someone else's money, that's a good, a good purchase. So I actually got a loan for this camper. It was about 11 grand but I put $0 down and my monthly payment was 211. 
So basically like my first month I spent $0 down on the camper about, I want to say six, 700 on just like decorations for the camper and stuff and hoses and extension cords. Um, and then paid my dad 500 bucks. And first month was about four grand, um, from the <laughs> rental income. And I was like, wow, this is great. Yeah. And then it just kind of, it just kind of grew from there. Um, and then this last summer I wanted to invest some more money. And so we got three brand new ones, um, and rented those out. Same, same piece of land that I used for my dad. Um, again, so grateful that I had him there, but again, um, I could have spent more time and effort to get land from someone else. Um, like there's a lot of dirt, especially in this greater Bozeman area. Um, but that's pretty much the business model. And it's really great. Airbnb handles the advertising, they handle the, the money transactions. So when a guest, you know, when you book something through Airbnb, I don't have to deal with, with credit cards or with payments or anything like that. They pay Airbnb and then Airbnb pays the host myself basically. Um, so that's, that's that side of the business. Do you have any, any questions? Um, you looking for a partner? I just kidding. I would. Yeah, no, Um, uh, no, it sounds great. That's, that would be my only question is like, where do I sign up? Um, yeah, I got a lot of questions, but it's, you know, that's exactly why I wanted you on the podcast. Cause so far we've had content creators, we've had product fulfillment. I don't think we've had any guides or services really yet, but I think when a lot of people are like, Oh, I want to start something their mind immediately jumps to like a product, an idea, I'm going to make it in my garage, I'm going to ship it, sell it, I'm going to make, you know, 30% margin. And then I got to scale that up. And, you know, after I heard you talk about, I mean, I think you gave me like the three minute version on the mountain. And then we went off to chase bugles. I was like, Oh, man, I want to hear the full story, because that's a completely different business model, a, a, a strategy, right, for financial freedom. And it's something that obviously you've been able to repeat. I think you mentioned you have six units now. We had, we had four for this summer. Four for this summer. Okay. And so, yeah. Yeah. So we sold some of the old ones and then got, got newer ones. Yeah. Like you said, it allows you to free up your time. You got passive, you know, income coming in. You know, if, if anyone's wondering what you meant by rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki, it's a book, the gist of it's cash flow, right? If you can spend $500 a month to earn $750 a month, the thought is do it every time because you can take that 250 that's 250 you didn't have before, and you can just keep snowballing it. And it sounds like it's amazing. I wasn't expecting the numbers to be quite that good. Um, have you thought, so everything you've done so far is on your dad's property? Correct. And now we're, we're kind of transitioning out to um, this area out near Whitehall, Montana. Um, semi, semi close to where we were hunting. Yeah. Um, so I've got 20 acres out here now. And another big thing that I've got to work on. So the biggest hiccup for just scaling the business for any of the listeners that are like, wow, I'm going to give that a try. I've got some land or my grandpa's got some land um, is it is a, um, it's a legal gray area because um, you need a public accommodations permit through the county or you need to have a like a trailer park um, registry, whatever, like whatever land needs to be actually registered with the trailer park. And they um, they don't like the campers to be rented out on that public accommodations permit. 
because it's not hooked up to septic. So they worry about where's all that poop and pee going, you know, is it going to the ground? Are you taking it to the river and dumping it? What are you doing with it? Um, so I've talked to a couple different people about just getting it. Like it's, it's such a young business. It's, it's a legal gray area and we didn't have any permits for it current, like up until this point, because it was a gray area. Mm-hmm. But what we were doing is we had a 400 gallon holding tank, a septic tank. So we take the septic waste from the campers, put it in that tank. And then a septic company would come and pump it and take it to their sanitation facility where they were legally dumping all this septic waste. So the process of it was same as like when a septic company would come and pump a septic tank for a house. Right. It was that same ordeal, just with smaller size tanks. Um, so basically I I've gotten to the point where it is, it is legal. It's going to take some wiggle room with the, uh, with the health department and with the sanitation department, the people that are running those rules and those permits to kind of explain to them and show them, Hey, we're doing this in a safe, um, a safe way for the environment and for the ground and for the community. Um, and not just, you know, dump and poop and pee everywhere. Right. Yeah. You're not doing anything wrong. They just haven't established the rules yet. So you're like, this is the right way to go. Because it's a very, yeah, exactly. Because it's a very new concept. And there's, there's been companies out there that, um, I've gotten those types of permits for renting out like a wall tent where they have an outhouse that gets pumped and it's that same kind of concept. So right. I've been making calls and working with people about getting, getting it a hundred percent permitted and legal. Um, but that's kind of the process of right now is it's such a new kind of idea. It's not a new idea. And I, I wasn't the first one that did it when I, when I got the idea, I went on Airbnb and there are plenty of people that rent out campers. And I thought I was so original, but it wasn't my idea. Um, and again, a lot of them just don't have the permits, but if it's something that it's something that I am trying to scale, um, so I'll, I'll have to go about doing it hundred percent legally. Um, but anyways, when I first started to just talking about the, the passive income side of it, when I first started, even just that first camper, that first year, I was personally doing the cleanings between the tenants. I was doing the laundry, the sheets and stuff. Yikes. Um, the uh the septic i was doing i was actually personally i had a 30 gallon septic tank so i'd empty the septic and then i would put my truck i would take it to the gas station dump it in the camper dump um i was having to switch out the propane because the stove and the uh water heaters run off of propane yeah. so every couple weeks or so i'd have to switch out the propane tanks so i was so excited to get into it because oh it's all past income but then i was like wow i'm doing a lot of work yeah not very and passive. my buddies would be like oh, i'm going hunting yeah. And my buddies were like, Oh, we're going hunting. We're going scouting in the summer. And I was like, I can't go. I've got a turnover tomorrow. Or my buddies were like, Oh, we're going to float the river. And I'd say, I can't, I've got to do this turnover. I've got to empty the poop tank. Like it was like a job. So I, so my second year I learned and I was like, all right, I got to do this a little bit better. So I hired a cleaning company, which, which was like the smartest thing I could have possibly done. Cause that was the biggest thing was those turnovers. And I had to you know, change that around. And they, um, were really awesome and they did all the linens as well. So they'd come and clean it and switch the linens between all the guests and Airbnb pays a cleaning. You can charge a cleaning fee. So basically I would pay the cleaning company 85 bucks every turnover and I would just charge my guests an $85 cleaning fee. So I wasn't losing a dime on the cleaning side of things because the guest was just paying for that service, which was, which was awesome. And then the propane tanks, um, 
there's a company, Madison River Propane, um, out of Belgrade, a town outside of Bozeman. But I had them handle all the propane, so I didn't have to worry about that either. And then same thing, got the septic tank um, for the campers to use, so I didn't have to haul the poop in town every time the uh, septic tank filled up. So from year one to year two, my workload went from pretty much a lot, the cleanings, the propane, septic, all that stuff, to virtually nothing, which was which was really incredible. And now it opened up my vision more because like one and then doing two my first summer was a little bit overwhelming, like a lot of work. Um, so now for me to start to picture across the greater Montana or just Western United States, if I want to put some in Nashville, I want to put some here or there, I can scale to five or 10 or 25 camper rentals because I'm not actually doing the work anymore. Um, so that was kind of a big, a big realization for me on year two was creating it, building it to a real passive business. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, that was my next question. Cause you mentioned, you know, it booked out 28 days and I assume sometimes you might get some big blocks but it's going to still be a lot of flips and it's like, okay, then how were you doing the cleaning crew and all that? So obviously you're, you're handing off the cleaning bill to the customer, but I assume like propane and septic is kind of, at some point you're probably cutting in a little bit to your margin by, by put offloading it and, and hiring people to take care of that. I'm just curious, you know, in percentages, like, did you see like a 20% dip in your, you know, your total, you know, net, by doing that, which would still be obviously very lucrative, like a great idea, or is it a hundred percent offloaded to the, to the customers? Um, no. So a hundred percent of the cleaning fee was offloaded to the customers. Yep. And that was nice. Cause I worked out a deal with the cleaning company where they, they were just, I told them, I was like, it's, it's easier. Cause he was saying, well, some will take longer. Some will be shorter. Sometimes we'll have two girls show up. Sometimes we'll have four girls show up. Sometimes we'll have big loads of laundry. Sometimes we won't have to do all of them because all the beds won't be used. And I was like, let's just work it out. But every time you come, I'll, I'm happy to pay a little bit extra. But again, I'm just going to charge the fee. So I worked out with them that it's like it's a flat rate. So I didn't spend a dime on cleaning. That was 100% on them. And then propane, um, a propane tank, the 30, 30 pound tanks last about a week or two in the summer. Yep. And those cost about 35 bucks to fill up. Okay. So again, my propane cost was maybe a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Um, but again, year two, I started charging 165, 170 bucks a night because people loved it and people were eating it up. Um, and year two, this last summer, we had less bookings than we did our first year. Um, the economy was in a, a slightly tougher place. The Yellowstone National Park flooded really bad and a lot of those roads closed down. Roads yeah. closed down. So that, that affected a lot of the tourism just into town and then Livingston, the next town over also had really bad floods. Um, and people were nervous about our area being flooded. So I saw a decent amount of booking cancellations when those floods happened. Um, but we still had a pretty, we still had a pretty great season. So, um, not complaining too much, but yeah. And then the other thing was the septic and we had, we had that, we had a 450 gallon septic tank and that was, $185 to pump and we pumped it twice the whole year. Okay. So the whole season May through September, we pumped it twice. So again, that cost was pretty, pretty minimal. Yeah. I mean, any business you're going to have costs, you have operating costs. You, you know, a lot of us, like, you know, I do beard oil. hundred percent. I have material costs. I have, I have bottles and labels and, and lids and caps and oil and, 
and that's not even my time and it's very much not passive you know i'm doing it all myself so yeah i was just curious you know did you see like a change but it still obviously seems like it's a great idea to hire help and offload that yeah and and you could also argue every turnover there was that 85 dollars that before i was pocketing myself yeah so you could say yeah, I lost a little bit of money there, but my, my workload significantly dropped. So it's like I wasn't putting that effort anymore, and I wasn't getting paid for the cleaning. Um, and um, I also, we had, there were a couple, there were a couple times when things would be missed that I would, I would rush to clean too much. And me being a young guy in my 20s cleaning the bathrooms and stuff yeah. versus three professional cleaning ladies that are crushing it. Um, people just loved this, this past year with the cleaning company. They loved the beds were made so much better and it was shiny and smelled nice compared to me running my vacuum and my wipes. And it, it was just a much better dynamic to have a professional, you know, take care of the cleaning. Did you see um, a lot of return customers and, from year one to year two? Um, I think we only had two. Okay. Um, but again, it's only year two. So as time goes by, um, I'm, I'm hoping that we see more. It'll be tough though. Cause we're switching locations now. Um, so not sure if we'll get the same group, but, but we'll see how it goes in the future. And then the other thing that's really nice about the whole Airbnb and VRBO advertising model is when you're selling a, a product or a service, a lot of times that's a startup expense is spending a lot of money on advertising. Yep. And Airbnb and VRBO, they take Airbnb takes 3% and VRBO takes 5% of the booking amount, which are pretty low numbers, but also I don't have to pay Airbnb a, a dime yeah. until I get a booking and then they take 3%. The VRBO, I don't pay them a fee to advertise for me. They'll advertise it, they'll market it, they'll handle all the payments. And then when I get a booking, I have to pay them that 5%. So that's also just really nice. Again, in the, uh, rental real estate market, just using those types of models where a typical business, you're going to have a big advertising expense. Like I had a landscaping business before and man, the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars I spent trying to get new clients. It's just, it's just a part of business. Um, but it's just nice. I didn't have to do that. Um, again, with with this model. Yeah, you really, it's a really a franchise model, right? I mean, they have the infrastructure that you get to associate your name to, and, you know, so that way your customer acquisition is basically free, but you pay a little bit for that service. But to get millions of eyeballs on your listing for free, I'll take that trade every day. Like, like Robert says, cash flow is cash flow. Yeah. Like, does it cash flow or not? And it obviously does. So who cares? You know, it's, it's the price to play the game. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. So that's the, it sounds like that's probably the main, the main side business, but you also have the Turo car rentals. Give people a rundown about that. Cause I, when you mentioned that, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So Turo is a pretty young company. Um, I believe they've been around for maybe 10 years or so. Um, but in 2021, um, there was that rental car shortage. And I heard about Turo from a real estate agent when I was first getting into the home buying process, looking around. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had just mentioned it and he 
described it. He was like, it is Airbnb for cars. And I said, wow, okay. So I looked into it. And at that time, Bozeman, there were not very many cars and now it's blown up, but it's a really, it's a car rental company. That's just like Airbnb. So let's say you are going to Atlanta, Georgia, and you can go to the airport and you book a car through enterprise and you go, you have to talk to the enterprise agent. You have to answer their questions, sign some stuff. They take you out to the lot. You get to pick your car or whatever. And a lot of times you'll have to wait in line though, before you get to your car. Um, and Turo, you basically rent a car from a local individual who has a car available for you. So you book your car through Turo, you go to Atlanta, you get to the airport, and then they just have the keys ready for you in the parking lot, in the lockbox, or they'll actually just meet you there. But you just walk outside the parking lot and boom, you've got your car, whether it's for two days or for the week, however long your trip is, um, you've got your car ready to rock and roll. So it's really nice for, again, an individual who's looking to make a little bit extra money on the side to rent out a vehicle um, or from the guest side as well to travel somewhere, not have to worry about the lines, not worry about enterprise or Hertz or any of those big companies and going through that whole process, you just rent a car from an individual like you would on Airbnb. Um, so that's, that's the Turo platform. Um, and I had a couple guests reach out to me, like, do you know where I can get a rental car? There's zero available at the airport. And you're like, Oh, by um, the way. And I was like, all right, like I might as well do it. So I started out, I bought a little Ford EcoSport. It's like a little, it looks like a bubble. It's a really funny looking car. Um, but um, again, I got a loan for that. I think I put a thousand dollars down and it was like an $18,000 car, but my monthly payment on that was about 250. Um, and I rented it for $75 a day. And that I bought that at the end of June and July that booked out, I think like 22 days or 23 days. And again, it was like, this is amazing. And that booked out pretty good for July, for August, for a little bit in September. Um, October, November were pretty dead. And then over the winter ski season just hit really hard again. Cause here we have two really busy tourism seasons. There's the summer that gets hit really hard with tourism. And then the winter, cause summer is floating. People just love Montana, Yellowstone. I'm coming to see Bowman. It's beautiful. And then in the winter people come for skiing. Um, and so it got booked out again, really hard December, February, March, and a little bit into April. And then April, May were a little slow again. And then June, the summer season picked up again pretty well. So again, cash flow is just really awesome for the vehicle. If you can picture $250 a month is my expense, plus let's just say a hundred bucks for your insurance. So I have to spend $350 a month on the car, right? But then if I can rent it for $75 a day, I have to rent it for, what is that? Six days to make my money back. And anything more than that is profit. So I was just seeing really great cash flow every month. Um, I just decided to scale it up. So now I've gone from one vehicle. I now have four vehicles on that as well. Um, in August this past summer, our total revenue for just the four vehicles was about 7,900, um, which, which was awesome. And two of the vehicles I paid cash for and two of them I've got loans on. Um, but again, it's just very similar and it worked out really well with the Airbnb business. Cause I was used to communicating with the short-term clients, connecting the check-in and check-out process, um, at the airport. And that has just been again, awesome, awesome passive income on the side. Yeah. That sounds amazing. 
Um, what's the turnover process look like for the cars? Are you showing up and gassing them up and making sure they're clean? Do you hire that out as well? How does that work? Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? You cut out that for a sec. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So the turnover process, the turnover process is, is, is quick and easy. Um, the guest has to return it with a full tank of gas. So the car gets returned pretty full at the airport. Um, and the tough thing, I would need a friend or I would need a buddy in the beginning to go basically take me to the airport, pick up the car, and I'd take it back to the house. So it was like you needed some sort of transport to and from the airport, but we lived in about nine minutes from the airport. So that was really, really easy, whether I had my buddy or my girlfriend help me out with that. Um, and But then the the tur- if I've got a turnover, let's just say it's a one-day turnover. It gets returned on Tuesday and goes back out on Wednesday. The in-between process is just cleaning it pretty much and that's that's about it and then the transportation from to and from the airport um but the uh airport parking is about ten dollars a day so in the busy season and i'm, I'm about to start this because i was doing just some calculations and playing with the playing with the numbers but the the airport parking costs ten dollars a day and if I can book out in the busy seasons, an average of 20 days a month are booked out. And then 10 days it's in storage basically at the airport. I'm spending a hundred dollars a month per car for storage. Um, and I'm working on being able to scale this again. Cause when it's just me, which it currently is doing all those turnovers, there's a certain point of vehicles I could get to where it's like, wow, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I can't actually handle any more workload. And I can't focus on my job or the Airbnb stuff or go hunting because I've got to be here at the airport turning over these vehicles. So what we're what we're going to be doing this this upcoming winter ski season is actually just keeping the vehicles at the airport. So then the turnover process, I can hire a friend, I can hire family, have an actual employee part time um, that is you know going to be doing the turnovers for me. I'm working on a partnership with another Turo host where combined we could have almost 20 vehicles. So we could hire someone almost on a full-time schedule to be doing these turnovers for us. But then once the vehicles, if it's left at the airport, then I can hire someone to come basically pick it up, take it cleaned, bring it back. It's ready to go for the next guest. Um, but those are the big things is cleaning and gas um, to make sure that it's ready for the, for the next guest. So the turnover process is pretty simple, but again, we just, just finished um, our second busy summer season. And that's what we've been working on. I've been communicating with a couple different hosts that are bumping into the same problems. Is like, how do we scale it more where it needs less of our presence to do those turnovers? Um, but those were our hiccups early on was, yeah, getting to and from the airport. You need someone to do that with. And then, yeah, cleaning and gasoline are the, are the main, the main turnover checklist things. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, I don't, it'd probably be a new thing for a cleaning company, but you know, a cleaning company has all the tools you would need to just, you know, Hey, can you stop by the airport and clean the car, bill me, whatever. And then the transport, like you said, yeah, you got to, I was thinking more of it, not just you, you related out and like, it's this much money per month, right? If we're 20 months on the road, so it's 10 days in the lot at a hundred, $10, it's a hundred dollars a month. I was thinking more of like, man, if it takes you an hour to move a car, which it probably does by the time you, you know, stop what you're doing, line up of help, you know, do the, get it to the airport, do whatever. 
and then, you know, get back to what you're doing, you're probably spending about an hour, right? Even if you're only nine minutes away from the airport. I mean, it's hassle. You're waiting on your buddy to show up or whatever. You know, how much are you going to pay yourself an hour, right? I mean, yeah, it costs you $10, but you saved an hour of time. Or two, you know, twenty dollars if it's sitting, there, it's gonna sit there for two days until it's next booking. You're still saving an hour, right? So yeah, you got to think about it that way too. It's right. a super good deal if you're booking out. It seems like fifty percent of the month would make sense to me. Like if it's on the road over fifty percent of the month, I'm not gonna waste my time bringing it home for two days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're in Montana, obviously. And in the Bozeman area, so you, yep. it is a it is a huge tourism economy. It, have you know? Do you run well, correct, the? the and that's, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm so lucky and um, grateful. Like location is everything. Like these, like for the for the listeners that are gonna be checking in on this, it's like you could be in a location where like, man, that idea is great. You could go, you buy your camper, you get it hooked up, you post on Airbnb and you could get zero bookings because no one's coming to travel to your, your local area. You could get your Turo car. You could get five of them. Like that's an awesome idea. And I love cleaning cars and I want to do that. And you buy five cars and then you're like, <clears throat> the closest airport is an hour away. And it's just, it just doesn't work for everybody. So again, location is key. And Bozeman um, was on 60 Minutes last year, fastest growing city in the U.S. Um, it's a beautiful place. If your friends and family ask, tell them it's horrible. There's mean people. We yeah. don't want anyone else to come, but it's but it's great. Um, and lots of people are flocking to Bozeman. And again, like that, the location is the most important thing for both of those businesses. Again, if like when the economy goes into real bad which it looks like it's going in that direction. It's like, there'll be less people traveling. There'll be less people renting cars, less people, you know, pop on airplanes and come in here for two or three or four or seven days in the summer. And you know, that'll really affect the businesses. And um, so yeah, location is, is everything with, with Bozeman being the way it is with the two busy tourism seasons. Does the RV business have, are, do you run that through the winter? Say that again. Do you run the the RVs through the winter or do you shut things down when it gets cold with like water lines and freezing? And... No. Yeah, no. So we just run mid-May through mid-September. Okay. So then I suppose you kind of got a plan for that in your, you know, your finances. Like, you know, here's the business model. Here's what we have to do. But we also have to remember we're, you know, if we're going to, you know, if someone's going to do this and take a loan out, you got to remember that you got to pay that loan October through April correct yeah and the cash flow is plenty to cover all that stuff and still make great money which is which is nice but yeah definitely something to think about but that's where i having this summer being so so much more passive and scalable and now i'm thinking like okay like what about nashville wow that gets good tourism all year long and it's warm all year long why don't i rent out some land for my guy outside of nashville and put a camper down there Hire a cleaning company, hire a propane company, hire a septic company. I can live out here in Montana and have my three campers in Nashville as as rental houses. Oh yeah. And that's that that's that concept of like why why am I tied to Bozeman? In the beginning of, you know, figuring out this business, it was like, well, I need to be here because I do the turnovers. If something goes wrong, I gotta help. If something is X and Y and Z, anything, I'm I'm running this. 
but the the process year after year has been figuring out how can I keep this machine running and going while I'm over here hunting elk and my business is making money wherever it is. Um, so again, that's the concept. That's the idea I'm kind of moving towards is like, what location can I have these things where they can, you know, generate income year, year long. And it's not just a couple seasons here or there, or like for the campers one season for a couple months. Yeah. And I'm sure you've thought about this, but you know, even if you go to Nashville, you put a camper down and you're like, you know what this, for whatever reason, Nashville's different. It's not working. Well, it's just a camper. You got to pick up, take a road trip with your girlfriend, go pick it up and bring it somewhere else. Bring it back to Bozeman, bring it to Austin, Texas, bring it to, you know, Gainesville, you know, it's not a house that you bought and then the market crashes and now you got to figure out what to do with this rental house. It's across the country. It's not going well. It's, you know, sinking cash every month. It's just a camper. Go pick it up, move it. Exactly. And the nice thing again, with, with actual real estate, um, not very many people can, you know, let's say you've got a house for 350,000. It's going to take time to find a buyer and all the showings through the process. If you get a camper for a good price and you do need to bail, a lot of people like campers and a lot of people can afford 15,000 versus 350,000. And a lot of times dealerships will even just cut you a check for maybe if you have to take a thousand dollar loss, but you can just bring your camper to a dealership and say, Hey, will you buy this for me? And they'll say, sure. Or they'll sell it for you. Like just, if you need to have that exit plan, it's a lot easier with a camper than again, a house. It's a, it's an easier exit plan. It's an easier entry plan. You might have to do a little bit more um, planning for some of the stuff like turnovers, right? Like if you buy a house and you get a 12 month lease signed, I mean, unless things go wrong, you're pretty much, you know, not present. You're not doing any active work right? until the tenant calls. And then that's a headache. But you're also not making the money that the, the RVs are doing. No way, no how. To put what you, you know, to put what you're putting into right. an RV deal to turn what you're turning. There's no way you're going to replicate that with a, with fixed asset real estate, like a house, maybe on Airbnb, but then you still have that. You, then you have all the same stuff, right? Turnover. And you still have to, you'd buy the $350,000 house. And, you know, typically $350,000 houses aren't the ones that are super successful in Airbnb. It's the, the $950,000 houses. (laughs) Right. And the original plan for me was to use the campers, um, just as a, as a stepping stone to get into real real estate. Cause you know, real real estate, that's everyone. It's much better. It's, it's this, it's that it's, it's just better. Right. But looking at it now, let's say I, I start stepping up in my camper quality and I go from 10,000, the ones I had this season were like 25 to 30,000, but I start going $50,000 campers. It's like, okay, my camper, because people, A, there's a big tiny house movement across the United States. People love that. There's a whole um, environmental movement that's happening. Our generation is so much more into solar and renewable energy. And all the campers, they can run off of solar. They don't need an actual power hookup. So tiny houses, good for the economy. And $50,000 is a very, very nice camper. Yeah. So the fact that I could get a house for half a million, or I could get 10 campers for 50000 And if I can rent out those 10 campers for even 50% of the price of that one house, 
just the cash flow is so much better with the campers because they're more affordable for me and they generate very similar cash flow. So after seeing the experience and seeing how people love them, people love the experience. And here's the other, here's the big kicker. A lot of times with the Airbnbs, people aren't, people aren't traveling to Bozeman to go hang out in their Airbnb. They're going to go fly fishing or go and they're going to go float the river. They're going to go see Yellowstone National Park. They're going to go hunting. They're going to go enjoy Montana. And then they have a nice place to stay and have a fire at the end of the night. But that's why it being a small place of being a camper, people don't mind. People don't care. Um, And again, campers aren't, aren't made super well. They're not built the same as a house, but no one's ever there. It was awesome looking out at the, at the fields where we had our three campers lined up and they're all booked out, but no, there's never any vehicles. there. People are out doing their thing and they come back. It's just like a hotel room to sleep at night. Um, So just the fact now I'm seeing, seeing how successful it is. I see myself scaling up with just campers and campers and campers because they cost less for me and generate pretty similar cash flow as a house would. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the listeners out there, you got to be aware a house is generally an appreciating asset. If you're lucky, it'll appreciate at the same rate as inflation. You know, ironic how that works and the whole market just keeps going forward, <laughs> but you're not going to have an appreciating asset with the camper and you just, you know, everyone else be aware, like your camper is going to go down in value. Like you said, it, it, there is wear and tear, but that's okay because you're cash flowing the whole time. You had a, a much different entry point. You know, it, it's not that big of a deal, right? Well, and even, even let's just say, let's say you got a loan for a camper and you, you put $500 down. And let's just say worst case scenario, your cash flow positive $1,000 a month. If you're in a good location and you're busy season, you should be seeing significant better numbers than that. But let's just say you're only seeing $1,000 a month and you rent out that camper for five, for five years. Okay. So you buy a brand new one and for five years. So you get average $1,000 a month is your positive cash flow. So you've yeah. got expenses with the cleaning company, the propane, the septic, your monthly camper, you've got insurance on the camper, you're spending money every month but you're making a thousand more than you're spending. So 60 months goes by, right? So you've, you've made 60 grand that you wouldn't have made before. And let's just say the camper depreciated to zero, which it wouldn't do in five years. Right. No, like it would still have a lot of value, but let's say hypothetically, (coughs) excuse me, it's appreciated to zero. So you can't sell that camper anymore. It's worthless. It's, it's totaled, whatever you still made 60,000 more than you would have made without the camper. That's $60,000 you created out of nothing. Does that make sense? So it's like the depreciation happens, but as long as you're cash flow positive every month, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fine place to be. Right. And someone might be like, well, that's, you know, they might be like, well, you bought a $50,000 camper. You got 60,000 out of it after five years, but now you can't sell the camper. So you really only made 10 grand and you let's you, no, that's not true. You got to remember to buy the $50,000 camper, you might have put 10% down. You put five grand into the deal. The, when you said $1,000 cash flow, I assume you're talking about that's including the $200 a month payment, right? I mean, you had a $200, $200 payment, you had some cleaning, et cetera. You still ended up with 1000 bucks. So now what you do is you take your 60, subtract your five, right? Because you put five into the deal. So you ended up with 55 grand you didn't have after five years. Which, if anyone's really good at math, that's like 1,100% ROI. In five years, I'll take that. Right. 
So that's awesome. My brother and I were talking on the way home from Montana. We're like, we're talking about you and your businesses. And we're like, man, how could we do that? And we're thinking like, well, you know, it's obviously just in the summer, but even so, you know, you know, 170 bucks a night, campers aren't that expensive. We're running the math. I think we forgot about the propane, but you know, who cares? $35 a tank. And you're not using a lot of propane in the summertime. You know, you're not, you're not running the no. heater, so that's okay. And we're like, yeah, that'd be perfect, because then we'd have this nice camper that's basically paid for, and we'd shut it down anyway in October and then take it hunting for the rest of the fall. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's 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 the right thought right there. Yeah. Did you ever talk to the cowboy in that canyon? No, so I went in. Um, went back in that next day and went back into that, that drainage where that bull was that I had shot. Um, and I started headed in and got to that private line and I was kind of having that debate in my mind. Cause there's no, no fences, there's no lines. And I was like, I was like thinking about playing that, playing that dumb card again. Like I'm going to go look for my elk, even though it is trespassing. Um, and I was like, kind of just like talking to God and like, yeah, should I do this? Should I not do this? My elk could be in there. I don't know. And I just heard, I heard the cowboys on the private pushing cows and I could hear them yelling and stuff at, at the cows or at their dogs or whatnot. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to get caught trespassing, so I'm not going to do it. So I turned around and, um, but I never, uh, never did cross paths with them. Oh, that cowboy's name is Matt is hilarious. We talk to him almost every night. You know, usually we'd see him on the road after dark or we'd go glass and he'd be trying to get cell phone reception. But the reason I bring that up is because the, the ranch put – he's you know, he's a hired hand for the, the ranch. They put him up in a camper yeah. in that canyon. He probably drove right by it. And he talked about his camper. He said the the heat didn't work, and he didn't find that out until it started getting cold. And so he was cuddling with his dog um, and wearing all of his clothes to bed. And he's like, it was hot all summer, so I didn't have any, like, good sleeping bags. I didn't have a lot of blankets. So the heat didn't work. He ran out of food the week we were there because he thought he was going to be done cowboying on Wednesday, and he had to stay till Friday to, to re-ride and, and catch some remaining cows. It was He said it was full of mice. Like, the mice were driving him crazy. And in order to, like, keep the place warm enough to sleep, he was running the stove at night. He's like, I, ran, I just run the snow, stove until it starts smelling a little weird, and then I shut the stove off and go to bed. I'm like, Jesus, what kind of camper are they putting you up in? And yeah. so... Um, probably not going to be getting 175 bucks a night for his camper, but he said he was, you know, next year he's switching out for the wall tent. Well, no. And I, uh, it was so funny. My first camper purchase that I was going to rent out, I bought one for a thousand dollars, um, up in Lewistown, which is like hours from Bozeman. And it was like a, it was like, it was a little newer. It was like a 2007 or 2008, um, a little bit bigger too. And I was so excited because it was just a piece of junk. It was horrible. And I was like, I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to repaint it. I'm going to do all these things. And then I'm going to rent it out. And the ceiling was leaking. And I tore a lot of the ceiling off. The insulation was all rotten. And I remember I had it for like a week and started to work on it. The water heater was broken. There was just all these issues. And I was so excited for the project. But then I was like, you know what? Like, I just want to get one that works. That is good. And it's got a good foundation. And it's nice. So again, back to your point, I, I ended up selling that for like, 2500 bucks a week later in bozeman um so made a nice <laughs> made a nice profit on that but um but it was just yeah if if anyone is in a good tourism area that's wanting to give this a shot definitely just like spend the extra money and get a nice camper 
because there's good ones out there and there's really horrible ones out there. So if you're going to rent it to someone else, make sure it's reliable. So they're not calling you saying we don't have heat, we don't have hot water. And then you got to drive over there and fix it and give them their money back. So just, yeah, go with the, uh, go with the nicer option. If you had like a, a, a top 10 or not even top 10, top three list for someone that they have the cash, they have the ambition, they want to do it. And they're just like, you know, what are the three biggest tips you can give me? What would those three big tips be? I mean, obviously I'm assuming one's going to be tourism or location, um, but specifically on campers, like what to look for, what not to look for, how old, how new, what level, you know, number of beds, stuff like that. Yeah. So um, most of my, you're saying three biggest tips. Yeah. Like if so, like quick three tips, fire them off, you know, here's, you know, if you're going to do it, remember these three things. Yeah. So hire a cleaning company. I, I was, I heard it because I took a couple different Airbnb courses and stuff when I wanted to get into it because education is key. So like learn as much as you can, but hire a cleaning company. I, I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to clean. And then, so just hire a cleaning company. It's a game changer because you're going to get burnt out quick if you're doing the turnovers. So that's, that's my biggest thing that I wish I would have done differently from the start. Hire a cleaning company. Um, Second thing, talk to an electrician and get an actual 30 amp hookup. I started out just running a 15 amp extension cord out to the campers, which will power them. It'll run the fridge. It'll run the microwave. They'll be able to do anything except for the AC. But if they do too many things, like if they have the microwave on and they try to charge two phones, it's going to trip that because it's not enough power going into the camper. So then the breaker trips, they lose power. And then you got to go fix it. Whether you're home or you're not, you got your guest calling you saying, I lost power. So make sure you've got enough electricity for your camper. Um, Cause that was something that I struggled with a lot my first summer. Um, so cleaning company that, um, <coughs> and um I would just say, like I said before, yeah, go with, go with quality. It's going to be easy to, to try to test out, Oh, how crappy of a camper can I get to rent out? Um, and just don't, don't go that route. I, I did that. Um, and again, yeah, just get, get the quality. Cause again, you got to think, you got to think of it as a house. You're buying a house on wheels to rent out to someone and you want it to be reliable and you want it to work every time they try to use any of the appliances or such. Um, so that's my, that's my third tip. Yeah. Those are great tips. Um, so here's a, so I'll throw you a scenario. So a guy's got, or a girl, it's got 5,000 bucks, right? And it's, you know, you could, if you want it, well, first of all, if you want to get into the real estate game, good luck doing anything with 5,000 bucks. Right. But this, you know, $5,000, there's a lot of campers on the market for 5,000 bucks. You mentioned you bought one and sold one for less than $5,000. So are you, so, you know, would you say like, if you got the 5,000, you're better off putting a $5,000 down payment on a nicer camper than buying a $5,000 camper. Um, yes, I would say you need a little bit of cash though. You need your cash for, let's just say it's, and you can also do it with just a regular extension cord. I say, make sure you have a 30 amp hookup, but if you're low on cash and you want to get your foot into the business, go buy a hundred dollar extension cord. Like that's going to work fine. Um, so 
but you want, yeah, let's say you put a down payment on a camper and if you get an approval with a bank, again, you want to put the least amount down that you can because that cash, cash is king. You want to have that cash for other stuff that you have. But you got to keep in mind, you got to buy utensils, you got to buy plates, you got to buy cups, you got to buy bowls, you got to get a coffee pot, you got to get like <coughs> stuff for the kitchen. Okay. You got to get sheets, you got to get towels, you got to get linens, you need, you need all this stuff. Um, so let's say you set aside $1,000 for your stuff. I also had set up outside some chairs, fire pit, and a little picnic table. Because in a camper, it gets tight. You want people to be able to spend time outside in a yep. nice little area. Um, so have a setup for that. Um, so with your, yeah, with your 5,000 bucks, like I, I started my whole, that first year started that whole business with very little. If you've got the land to do it on, mm-hmm. if you've got, even if you've got an acre and you've got a little bit extra dirt, you're like, I want to give it a shot. Um you don't even need, you could do the whole thing for less than two grand. Cause if you can get a loan where you put very little down five, 10% or nothing, your stuff. And then you can get it posted. Cause there's no advertising costs. There's no startup costs. That's, that's it. It's just the stuff to put in the camper. Um, so, but yeah, I'm just trying, I'm thinking of if you could use your five grand for something else. <coughs> Well, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can always yeah use bigger it. down payment, I guess, would be good. Yeah, if you wanted to get into a nicer camper, if you wanted to start with that like thirty thousand dollar twenty seventeen model, you know, and put five down on that. Yeah, I was just saying, like, if you got, you know, yeah, you're gonna need, you want backup cash too, right? Things shit happens, things go wrong, somebody's gonna break something. You want to have yeah. like a sleep well at night account, is what I've heard it called in the real estate business, right? yeah and it, you know this might be different for campers i heard um chris crone talk about it his was ten thousand for his first property and then five thousand for every property after that but he's buying like houses right so for campers like think of it the same way like you want to you want a emergency savings for the camper business and if you keep scaling you got to scale your backup fund too right you got to scale that you know you because you might put a hole in a roof the same week that you blow the water heater in another unit and so now it's like oh you know you got to be able to if you scale, you're going to have more issues too. Right. So I'm just saying like, aside from all the stuff you need to buy, like if someone's got a thousand dollars to, to outfit, whatever they buy and they have 5,000 bucks, you know, how new, what level of camper would you say works, would be a good fit? Is it that like $20,000, you know, five years old camper is kind of a good starter for this? Well, see, that's, that's where it's crazy is like, I bought this 2008 camper for a thousand dollars. It was a piece of junk and they just wore it to shreds. Then I got a 2003 camper for 11,000 and it was in pristine condition and it was really nice. And it was, it barely aged at all. So that's where it's like, I wish I had an answer like, oh, it's gotta be 2010 or newer, or it's gotta be 2015 or newer. But it's like, it all depends because someone can have a camper. You can have this old couple that buys a camper. They bought it in 2011 and it sat in the shop and they used it once. Yep. And then they died. And now it's their daughter that's trying to get rid of it because she doesn't want to have this camper. So she's got it on Facebook marketplace selling it for, you know, yeah, 15 grand, whatever. It's like, that's a great camper. It's older. It might seem scarier, but nothing's used. And it's a really great camper. Then you could have someone who got a camper in 2019 and they took it hunting and they were disgusting and the walls are falling off and they just wore it to shreds in two years. 
And now that 2019 camper is a is a worse one to rent than this 2010 camper. So does that make sense? Like my oh, yeah. my answer is it depends. Just take just take your time in your shopping process. Yeah. Um, talk to a couple of dealerships. Talk to a couple of people on Craigslist. Like just take your time and wait till you see one that you're like, yeah, this one. I would say it that'll take you can get a used one that'll just take the least amount of work to get going. Like you want kind of a turnkey place where you don't need to be fixing stuff up. Again, if you've got that experience and you like that kind of part of the project where you like the concept of fixing it up before you rent it, then go for it hundred percent. I just didn't have the time or the interest in doing that. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in campers. I mean, I didn't grow up in campers, but we had seasonal camper rentals lots my entire childhood, even still to this day. And so I just want to preface this by saying, if you are not experienced with RVs, get experienced with them first. Cause like, if you think that, you know, you buy them and everything works, that is not true. <laughs> they Things go wrong all the time. The water leaks. This does that You know, they're not as durable as a house. So just be aware of that. If you didn't grow up in campers, if you don't have a lot of experience, learn what to look for. Learn how to look underneath the campers for leaks or evidence of water leaks and stuff like that. And you, that will save you a lot of headaches. I mean, there are good campers out there all the time. I mean, you can get a good camper and take care of it, and it, it'll last, and you won't have a lot of headaches. You might break something here and there but there are campers out there that it's like you every time you turn around something's broken or something's leaking well and it was so funny this year i wanted to avoid that so i got brand new ones from the dealership like straight off the truck from jayco 2022 camper um brought it home got all hooked up and the fridge didn't work freezer fridge off of propane or off electric wouldn't work and I was like, holy crap, like I bought them new, so I'd have to do this. And they were covered under warranty, but it took it took seven weeks for the dealership to get a new fridge in it. So just like, yeah, even with the brand new ones, you're going to run into problems. So yeah. be, be ready for that and test everything out before you buy it. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you, if you decide to give it a shot. Awesome. So originally I figured you were leaning like 100% towards the campers. I did the cars, but then I found the campers and that's the future. But then when you talked about the cars, you know, those, that business wasn't a slouch either. Do you have a vision for the future? Are you going to scale both kind of together or are you going to focus more in one area than the other? So the Turo business has been really nice because I lived so close to the airport. Um, and there's a great guy that I was talking to. Um, he, I'm not going to give out his name, but he had eight SUVs and nine Teslas that he rented out. And he rented out Big Sky is where the billionaires go and all the millionaires and people have money. So he was renting out these SUVs for like 350 days, $350 a day. Wow. And the Teslas for like 195 bucks a day. So he was showing me there's this little on the, on the app you can go through and it shows like, oh, your earnings for the year. And mine are like 25 or 30 grand. And he, we went out to eat and this is, this was in July. His, it was like your earnings for the year. He has two accounts just for the SUVs. It was like, Oh, 149 grand. Jeez. I was like, what? So we were just talking and, and he was saying he, he is positive cash flow. Um, the previous year he's positive cash flow about 130 grand from, from cars that he owned. So he's the one I've been discussing with of like, how do we make it to the point so that we can hire someone to do the work so we can just keep getting vehicles and not have to worry about the turnover process. 
So I'm currently at a point where it's like four vehicles for me because I now live an hour away from the airport. Yeah. Four vehicles is going to be a lot to handle. But if I can get an employee or two, or we have some sort of structure in place where we can lean on each other and share an employee, then I 100% would like to scale. And then I can go to Denver and I can start a business there and get four or five vehicles. I could go to Atlanta or Boston or Chicago. <coughs> yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I haven't, I have intentions to scale, but we just gotta, we gotta figure out the right way to do it first. Yeah. On the, on scaling on the RV side, have you ever thought about putting in all that infrastructure that you would need to make it code, you know, basically make your own seasonal rental spot, but instead of, leasing a, a spot to one couple for the season for 3000 bucks, you're mm -hmm. just doing your, the VRBO Airbnb. You basically have like an RV park set up for people to come and you know, that way all the infrastructure is in the ground. You meet all the code that all their, you know, resorts have to meet anyway. Does that ever cross your mind? I mean, it's definitely a bigger expense. I mean, you're, you're dumping serious money into it at that point. Yeah. So so I, so I just bought my first piece of land out here in Whitehall. Um, so I've got 20 acres out here and Whitehall doesn't get as much tourism as Bozeman. Um, but it gets a lot for fly fishing. And then this time of year, I've heard it gets a, a decent amount for hunters. So, um, I am excited to give it a shot out here. Cause now, now I own the dirt, which makes it a lot easier to, you know, put in the infrastructure if I need it. Um, but again, I'm a very, um, there's, we've seen a lot of change in Bozeman. These, these people come in and they put up these subdivisions and they make a hundred million dollars on all these, on all these houses. But it's like, I love the idea with the campers of that when my time is done, the 10 years goes by, I've made my money. I can put it on my truck. I can take it away. And the dirt is preserved. The land is still there. I'm a big advocate for conservation and not development. So the cool thing is just, I want to, I want to have as little impact on the ground as I can. So like right now we're dealing with all above ground septic tanks so that when the time comes, I can take it with me and I can either take it to the dump or give it to someone else or sell it or use it at a different location. Um, where again, keeping like preserving the land, preserving the dirt. Um, so I think the biggest, the biggest thing though was yeah, getting the electrical stuff all lined up. And then it still, I can have a septic tank that I can bury four feet underground and I can dig it up when I need to. Um, and then the water lines, getting those all good to go. But those are the big things, electric, septic, and um, I guess that's it, and water, electric, septic, and water. So like getting the infrastructure in on this property here, I'm excited to do that. So it'll be, yeah, more peace of mind for sure. Awesome, cool. Well, I appreciate you telling your story, man. That is a super cool idea. It's awesome, especially, you know, we're both pretty young. And I think that's a story that other people our age can, can start to wrap their head around about getting involved, building a side hustle that cash flows, starting to dabble with real estate and not the daunting task of buying a half million dollar property and making sure you can get a tenant in it and covering that mortgage bill. So I really wanted to hear your story and it definitely did not disappoint. I was not expecting it to be that exciting. You know, I was like, yeah, you probably can make some money doing this, but um, I was not prepared for the, like the scale and the, how lucrative it's been for you. So that's super cool. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. 
Yeah, awesome. Well, good luck for the rest of the season. If you get back out in the woods, um, I'm going to be chasing some whitetails here in Minnesota. Don't know if I'll make it back to Montana for rifle season. I, You know, we didn't shoot anything, and it's a long ways out there. So not sure I'll make it back yet, but we'll probably be back in future years. So I'll, I'll hit you up and see if you're still in the area. Yeah, that'd be cool. And I had a, uh, I'll send you some pictures, but I had a couple antelope buck walking through my yard the other day, and I got an archery tag for those guys. So I'll send you some pictures if I get to stick one in my bow, but that'll be fun for me. Man, archery hunting antelope inside the city limits of Whitehall looked to be a super easy task because they are everywhere. Well, yeah, keep keep my fingers crossed. Yeah, and I, I when I actually got a stock on one yesterday, he was back out by my little guest shed. Um, I was expecting him to be like all tame and used to people. So I was just going to get to kind of walk up and shoot him. Um, but he spooked as soon as I stepped out the door. So they're still, they're still antelope. Um, but hopefully with them walking outside the house, it'll be a little easier for sure. Cool. Well, I hope you get one. Yeah, definitely stay in touch. Just follow through your fall, see how the things are going. And you know, anytime you've got a new business adventure that you want to share, give me a, give me a shout. We'll get you back on the podcast. Will do. Thank you, man. Thank you.